This hasn't happened since I think 1956, uh, where Easter and April Fool's Day come together. It's not going to happen again until 2029. So April Fool's Day always stays the same. It's the first. Uh, but Easter uh, is like, uh, it follows the equinox, the last moon, six weeks fall. It's, it, it's, I don't know how they do it. But it's a moving date. Uh, and sometimes it can, it can fluctuate in, in a six-week segment as to when Easter will fall. And uh, for, for April Fool's and Easter to come together is kind of interesting. And I thought it was interesting that April 1st, 2001, that the church actually, uh, they, they didn't realize it was a joke, and they asked me to be the pastor. <laughs> so, But it's interesting that, that both of these dates would fall today. And I want to read to you a passage of scripture uh, because... Um, we, we know the origin of Easter and how it falls on the first Sunday. Here it is, following the first moon of the spring equinox. So while the day of the week Sunday stays the same, the date can vary almost six weeks. But we don't know the origin of April Fool's Day. Uh, I, I personally think it has, it has to do with tax day. I mean, we are, I mean, the amount of money that we just willingly give to the government, Right? We just, we just take it. Just, oh, oh, how much? Oh, okay, okay. What'd you do with it? Flush it? Oh, burned it? Oh, okay, you're smart. <laughs> That's, I think they just say you got a little bit of time from April 1st before you have to pay the tax bill to get a hold of yourself, you fools. I think that's, that's just my interpretation of it. That's what I thought, anyways. But one of the things that, uh, that we have to remember is this. There isn't a more critical doctrine. Well, I'll wait for him to sit down. Come on, show him where to go. That's all right. That's, how you doing? Good to see you. Sorry to make an issue of it all. <laughs> Trust me, first service, I was way worse. Somebody spilled coffee. I made fun of him in front of everybody. So. But I, I, wanted to, I want to tell you, there isn't a doctrine in all of Christendom uh, more critical, more critical to Christendom than Resurrection Sunday, the tomb being empty. And if the tomb isn't empty, this resurrection is so vital to Christianity that all of Christianity implodes if you can prove that the tomb isn't empty or wasn't empty. If Jesus is still dead, this is a good day to celebrate that we're all fools. Let me read you a passage. Paul wrote this to the church that doubted the resurrection of Christ in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of, among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact... Uh, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, 
Even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ, the first fruits afterward, those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death, for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Um, And then it says, finally, now when all things are made subject to Christ, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. The idea is simply this. Paul points out to the church at Corinth that struggled over this concept of a resurrection. And he said, look, if there's no resurrection... Everybody, please, just go home. Because as a Christian, we would be of all people most pitied. We, we, we have the audacity to remain faithful in our marriages. We have the audacity to tell the truth and believe that there's such a thing. We have the audacity to keep our word. We have the audacity to, to think that there's some sort of moral absolute. When it's everyone just, hey, it's a free-for-all. Everyone do what seems right in your own eyes and, and live, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. And you know what? Don't worry about community. Don't worry about family. Don't worry about telling the truth. Just get as much of it. Grab that brass ring on, on, on the carousel and do whatever you need to do to get that happen. Steal, lie, cheat. But hey, if this is all there is, go for it. Because as Christians, if we believe in moral absolutes, if we believe that we're accountable to a God, if we believe that this isn't the, the, the end, that we don't die, we just truly begin to live when we step into eternity, then we're, we are of all people most pitied. This is April Fool's Day if the tomb is not empty. And for all of you who believe that, that, that Christ didn't rise from the dead and somebody drug you here and you're just so, you just want to get out, I get it. I've sat in your seat. For years I sat in your seat. And I just, Christianity was the biggest farce on the face of the earth. And those Christians, yeah, looking around the room, yeah, those Christians, and looking behind here, yeah, those Christians, we are, we are a strange looking group. Just, I'm just saying, I'm looking. <laughs> the Bible even says that, it says we're a peculiar people. I've, I've often said we're like the bar scene out of Star Wars. <laughs> Look, I get it. And some of you sit in judgment of us and, and you know us, you know me. And then you die more moral than he is. And I, I can tell you point blank, you are completely right. You're more moral than me. That is just not a high bar to attain. And some of you, when I say that you're, you're so legalistic, you're judging me going, well, I don't want a pastor like that. Well, then we won't make you pastor. (laughs) You just got to get over yourself. God takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. That's why he picked me. Yeah, I'm I'm the one who needs the most help in the room. So he put me in the fishbowl. So my life is more strictly judged. You judge my kids differently, you judge me differently. And I know what I signed up for and I'm not bitter by it. I get it. I understand that. But God put me here, so those of you who'd stand in judgment saying I'm more moral, God says, that's right, you're more moral than Rob McCoy. But Rob's not the standard. There is an absolute standard, and you will stand before a holy God who is without sin. Sin, oh, I hate that word. 
All right, let me just help you with the word. For all who are not perfect. Is that a little better? Well, I mean, of all the people I know, I'm the most perfect of... I am a gift to humanity. We have to give you an extra seat because your head is... And your ego is... I mean, it's a tight room. I don't know if we can accommodate you. But the reality is we will stand before God and give an accounting of our life. And there is an empty tomb and there is the resurrection. And there is a reality that God has given us a way out of a world filled with sin and death. And, and the world is full of religions. It's full of religions. And this day in Christendom, doctrinally, this day separates Christianity from every religion in the world. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Our, the tomb of our founder is empty. You can find the tomb of Muhammad. You can find the tomb of Buddha. You can find the tomb of great world leaders. You can find the tomb of Mao Zedong. You can find the tomb of Joseph Stalin. You can find the tomb. I can go on and on and on. You can find it. But the tomb of Jesus is empty, completely empty. We can't even visit really the burial place. There's multiple locations, the tomb of the Holy Sepulcher, the garden tomb. Other people have some ideas of where they think it might be. But the amazing thing about Jesus, is he's the greatest man who ever lived. He rose from the dead. He lives even today. He's at the right hand of God, the Father. He's interceding on your behalf and mine. Only Christianity follows a Messiah, a Messiah who prophesied his coming. And if you just want to look at the messianic prophecies fulfilled in Christ, no one else has ever accomplished that, speaking on it beyond a space-time continuum. If you just do your homework and not listen to the comparative religion in your zeitgeist community college class, just do, do a little more homework than Google. You're, 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 not being, you're not being educated. You're being indoctrinated. Do some homework. Don't just... Read. You're not a lemming. The tomb is empty. Our Savior lives. And I say this because we're not, we're not victims of, of April Fool's Day. The tragedy is, those of you who don't believe in an empty tomb, this is April Fool's Day for you. It's a sad day. And you have been duped. You've been convinced by somebody who thinks that they've got a handle on life that doesn't require submitting and acknowledging a creator. They've managed to even come up with all kinds of theories that a creator doesn't exist, and they've redesigned everything in your educational process to remove a creator. That you are, you, you, you are self-made men and women. And I often say this, and I still say it, what part of yourself did you make? Really, what part of yourself did you make? Who keeps your heart beating and your lungs moving when you're asleep at night? Who holds you on an earth that's spinning at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour throughout the, the earth, or excuse me, throughout the galaxies? Being held together in a delicate balance that if the earth were to move 5% further to the sun, we'd burn to death. 5% further away, we'd freeze to death on this delicate balance being held on nothing. Who does that? And, and where did you come from? If there is no creator... Where did it begin? Well, just it was a big bang. Okay, then who started it? Well, it was in it. Okay, then who started it? Well, it was, then who started that? Aliens. Okay, great. Aliens. Who started that? Okay, well, who started God? That's the point. He's God. He's self-existent. 
He's beyond the space-time continuum. He's a creator. You can't wrap your mind around it with a temporal mind with eternal God. And you don't like it because you can't explain him. Oh. Oh, somebody's bigger than you. Right? That, that hurts a little bit, I know. I sat in your seat and you don't like to be mocked, and I didn't either, and it upset me. But that's where the... That's where the gist of the message is for me, because as I was preparing for Resurrection Sunday, I, I get a kick out of this, this day. Uh, for the majority of my life, when I was younger, we were CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. And, and I sat in your seat and I heard every Easter service and I heard every Christmas service. I knew that about the Bible better than anyone did. And I'd, I'd look at the minister going, you got to top what I've heard, because I'm like, I'm 15 in on this. <laughs> And I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you the same old story. Hopefully, this time, you're going to graduate. Hey, how long are you going to take this class? <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you, as we've been going through the book of Matthew, it's the very first book in the, in the New Testament, and the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, who had been a tax collector. He had been burned out on religion. He, he had served as a Pharisee, and a, a, you know, he'd been in the, the priestly realm, and he had seen all the hypocrisy, and some of you have, and you get burned out on church, you get burned out on the temple, you get burned out on that stuff. Matthew was that way, and he had a personal experience with the living God, a relationship that reconnected in spite of the way that mankind had presented it. He had this relationship with God face-to-face, went on to write the book of Matthew, and, and it's a fascinating account because he had the inside scoop on what the Romans were doing because he was connected with the governmental instit- institutions. And so in, in Matthew's account, as we've been going through the book of Matthew, we find ourselves today in Matthew 27. I'm going to read a little bit out of that. In Matthew 28, I'm going to share a little bit, and then you get to go and eat. All right? No, 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 no. No, no. We're going to share a little bit, and then we're going to have a test. And this is the time you're going to pass it, because you've been taking the class far too long, and then you get to go home. And you're going to get a diploma. Amen? We'll have a graduation ceremony. You know, on a graduation ceremony, you come up, and you shake the president's hand, you get your diploma, and you get, this is going to be your diploma. If you want me to shake your hand, I will. You just take that, go back to your seat, and you have graduated. I'll explain it momentarily, but let me begin by going to the word of God. So if you'd open up to Matthew 27 and please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. For the folks who are passing on Bibles, I'm sorry. Let's just, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll, they'll have some for you. Matthew 27, I won't keep you standing long. We're going to pick up towards the bottom of 27. We're going into the 60s. So we're going to look at verse 62, verse 62. When I hear the pages stop turning, I'll begin reading. I love the sound of pages turning. That, mean, that means minds are working. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not into that. No. And if we were to hear what was going on in your head. <laughs> All right, Matthew 27, starting with verse 62. This is Pilate. It says, on the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate. He was the Roman uh, proconsulate, and, and they, they came to him, and they said, hey, look, we need your help. And they're coming to Rome, appealing to Rome. And they said, sir, we remember while he, meaning Jesus, was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, command that the tomb be made secure until the third day. 
lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. We'll all be fools. Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Now turn over to chapter 28, please. Matthew 28, I'm going to pick up at verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. I love that. Let's pray. Lord, would you guide and direct us through this often read but oftentimes misunderstood story that as we would all hear it today, our lives would be forever changed. So Lord, I pray that this would be the day of salvation for all who would hear. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless each and every heart according to your riches in Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat. Matthew has an interesting account because he can talk about... uh, this idea of the Roman guards being assigned as Pilate had given to the, the priests and the Pharisees authorization to have a Roman guard come and guard the tomb. And, and I was preparing for this message and, you know, just taking a look at everything Hollywood has produced. And, and uh, I spent a lot of time yesterday just kind of watching movies and, uh, you know, just kind of getting a feel for how people you know, would produce or have a vision of what had occurred. One in particular I enjoyed was this one. It was called Risen. It had Joseph Fiennes in it. And, and it's about uh, uh, a, a Roman centurion um, and, and how he's a, a, a polytheistic worshiping um, Roman soldier. And he actually, you know, you see him praying to Mars, the God of war and, and how he's trying to process all these events. He's the one who has to go and take Jesus's body down. He was the one assigned to go ensure that he was dead. He was the one that had received from Joseph of Arimathea, the, the ruling from Pilate that the body would be given to Joseph of Arimathea, be put into that tomb. Uh, when the tomb was empty, he was the one assigned to go find a substitute dead body to try to pawn off on the people after three days, the rotting had occurred in the hot middle Eastern sun and they would throw the lime on top of the bodies and he'd have to sift through all the stench of this pile of dead bodies and, and find one that had piercings, you know, in the feet and in the hands and a crown of thorns and the spear in the side and try to resemble some, find something and, and then to hunt down uh, these folks that were trying to, to create this, this mystical appearance that uh, the Messiah had risen from the dead and then hunt down the apostles and find Mary Magdalene. And, and uh, it was, you know, one of the, the pictures is they, they really hit me as, as they, they walk into the barracks of all the Roman soldiers and Mary Magdalene had been a prostitute and, and he had gotten word that she was somewhere around and that she had witnessed one of the very first to witness the empty tomb had to track her down. So he wanted to see if any of the Roman soldiers knew who Mary Magdalene was because they would, uh, they would often visit the brothels. And he, he says into the Roman barracks is there's just dozens, if not more Roman soldiers said, who here knows of a Mary Magdalene? And everyone raises her hand. And you know, this woman has had an awful life. And then to see her testimony, and he, he says, you know, I, I won't punish you. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll have mercy on you, uh, if you if you tell me, and, and I'll set you free. And she looks at him, she says, I'm already free. 
mean, it was such a profound statement from a woman whose life had just been in bondage to the misery of, of just an awful life. And I saw this and I saw how they had, they had um, uh, presented the, the guarding of the tomb. And one of the things that they did in this idea is they, they sealed the tomb. And when we, when we think about this, this doctrine of the Christian faith of the empty tomb is, is so important that if you can disprove the resurrection, Christianity has nothing to stand on as what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. But Paul would go on later to write in 2 Timothy to Timothy. It would be his last epistle. Epistle means letter. It would be his last letter. He wrote to Timothy. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. I love that because as I started to consider the message this day, I, I, I thought to myself, I love life. I mean, I have a good life. I'm a very happy man. I have five wonderful children. I have an amazing wife. I've got two just adorable grandkids. I've got two great son-in-loves. And as I see son-in-laws, if you didn't catch that, I thought you'd giggle. <laughs> and and I, I look at my life, my, my in-laws. I mean, I, I didn't get to pick my in-laws. I would have married Michelle even if they were awful but I got great in-laws. They're precious people. I look at my children, each of them I'm proud of. I I love the community in which I live. If I wasn't the pastor of this church, I'd still attend here because the folks here are just precious. It's just a wonderful community. I love where we live. Even if I wasn't a city councilman, I'd be proud of this city. I, I, I love what we've done as a community. I have a good life. I love this. And, and I, I, I was at the, the, the Dodger game last night. It was like a whim that folks had come back. They'd, first time in 17 years, they'd missed the opening season. They had these great seats. They called us on a whim, said, hey, you want to come? And I said, yeah, sure. And I, I like baseball games. Michelle hadn't been to a Dodger game. She, we lived here 17 years. She'd never been to a Dodger game. I said, let's go. Okay. We go to a Dodger game. These are seats on the third baseline, and in front of you is the field. Three seats that way is the dugout. I'm like... These are really, I think these are really good seats. These are really good seats. Uh, Kemp, the left fielder, comes over, gives a hug to the guy, and then hugs the other lady and shakes my hand, thanks. And then he goes over and he says hi to Michelle. I'm like, whoa, I I don't know who you are, but you seem important. This is really cool. And there's the third base coach, and and I'm like, wow, these are great seats. Foul balls hit. The third base coach of the Giants grabs it and turns over and he sees me. I'm like, hey, and he throws it to my wife. (laughs) Pays to be blonde and pretty. (laughs) I'm not. Yeah, amen. Sure. God bless you. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Who goes to a Dodger game, 40,000 people, and you get a foul ball? This is a good life. Who sits on the third baseline? And watches a baseball game, gets to say, see the player shake hands with him. I mean, this, this guy apparently who shook my hand dated Rihanna. So I shook the hand that probably shook Rihanna's hand. Just saying. I'm just saying. That's what I'm saying. You're tracking me. So my whole point is it's a good life. It's a really good life. 
in addition to being a good life, there are times, and you've, you've seen this, and, and at 53 years of age, you know, it's like, if I double what's left, that's 106. I'm not going there. I'm on, obviously on the downhill side of life. And I just got to tell you, 53, it's picking up speed. Seriously. And things start falling off. Like you're, you're getting that speed wobble coming down. And you're like, well, well, oh, hey, well, oh, oh, ah, oh. And some of you young people are going, what? I'm, hang on, like that. You'll be like, trust me. And the guy I'm with, I, I turn to him and he goes, you know what's bizarre? He goes, it seems like yesterday we were raising kids and they're out. And they, they talked about how they went through kind of a depression after the kids had moved out because your whole life is focused on raising kids. And for us, it's the same thing. Five kids. It's like landing planes at LAX and just, what? Drive me here. I got to go there. I need some money. I got to go there. Oh, he yelled at me. I don't like it. Oh. And you just, you, you just want to get rid of them and get animals. And, 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 and yet all of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody's gone. And then you turn, you look at your wife and you're like, we're married, right? <laughs> yeah, I think we are. What's our role? Uh, well, I thought we were parents, but apparently we're married. <laughs> and so the relationship is with us now because they don't care anymore. <laughs> They've all left us and we're left together. And it, now, how did we meet again? You know, and you're having to reconnect and you're going back and life is changing. And it was yesterday. I remember holding my kids in my arms and I remember thinking some of the kids were really cool snugglers. And you'd be sitting there and you'd be thinking to yourself, man, I wish time could stop right now. You ever had a moment like that? I just, I just wish we could stop everything right now. But now we've got grandkids, and, and Oliver's, he's, he's a snuggler, but he's not like Liberty, my granddaughter. She's a snuggler. And you pick her up, and she just puts her head into you, and you're like, okay, stop everything. I, I don't, no, no, no calls. No, shh, stop t- talking. <laughs> oh, this is good. Anybody, anybody track me? Really good. I love my life. That being said, I can't wait to get the hell out of here. <laughs> I, 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 listen. Some of you are like, oh, I, I can arrange that. <laughs> Calm down, ushers. Uh, now look, I'm not holding on too tight. And I, this, this is not it for me. I'm passing through. On April 11th, we closed escrow on a house that we, we, we bought. We, we lived in one house for 16 years, and we rented for a few months, and now we're moving into a house. And, and when you haven't moved in 16 years, you realize how much junk you have. That, that move, honestly, Michelle and I almost ended up in Happy Dale. It was insane. And we had like a short window to get it done. And thank God so many people helped us. And, 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 and here, we're moving stuff. And we put it in boxes and we stored it. 
And now we're getting ready to move again. And they, it hasn't left the boxes. I'm like, I think that is a sign that we need to get rid of those boxes. Anybody? Some of you are like, oh, I'll take those. I don't even know. I don't even know what's in them, but I'll take them. And that's what you do. You just, you just drag stuff from one place to the next. It's like, it's like a ball and chain. Like, I gotta move. I gotta move. And you're just moving all this stuff. And you got so much stuff. You, and it, I can't do without it. I can't do without this stuff. And it's getting old and rotting. And they got newer models. You're like, no, no, no. I, this, I, it's paid for. But I don't need it right now. So I'm going to store it. And you're paying somebody to store something that's rotting. Anybody? It, square footage. Just look. What does it cost to square foot of rent? Square, and you're paying every month to store something that's rotting. Oh no, these are memory things. Your memory fades. The older you get, you don't need it anymore. <laughs> the cool thing about my dad having Alzheimer's for 15 years is everybody was somebody new for the first time. It's like, hello, I'm Roy McCoy. I know who you are, Roy. I remember one time I was in the post office with my dad and, and uh, this guy, Lionel Rowe, he was like Mr. Coronado. And, and uh, he goes, Roy, Roy. And, and my, my dad turns and says, hello, my dad can't remember who he is. And everybody in town knows Lionel Rowe. And he said, Roy. And uh, he goes in front of everybody in the postal line. He says, Roy, Lionel Rowe, you don't even remember me. Mocking my dad. My dad, I love what he said. He goes, yes, Lionel, you know, I think I liked you better when I knew you. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Even with Alzheimer's, he just smacked the guy. Stamps, please. But as you get older, you just get rid of the junk. And, 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 and Michelle and I are looking at this house and we purchased it because it's single story, 1,600 square feet, you know, and, and we could build a ramp and, you know, it's just, it's, it's going to be great and, and wide, you know, and you... you it's a landing spot where we, we can see the landing. We're coming in. And we know we're going to land softly and say goodbye. Not now. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe a little later this afternoon. Maybe years from now. But we're landing. And I say that because I, when I get to Resurrection Sunday, I get excited the day's going to come in the not too distant future where I'm going to get to see my mom and dad again. I miss them. You know, I remember when, when I won the election and I, I didn't have anyone to call my, uh, my, my mom was gone and my dad was in the throes of Alzheimer's and, and you know, I love telling my wife, but she was there and, and, you know, like a parent does. Just, I'm so proud of you. You know, just, just that authority figure placing that blessing. There's something special about it. I don't have that anymore. And, and when time moves on, all of a sudden you realize you're the one bestowing the blessing. And then you're not getting any more. You've got to give it now. And I'm it. I'm it. And I, I think about that. I think about not only do I look forward to seeing my mom and dad, I look forward to seeing my friends. Some who've gone on before me, my childhood friend, Leon Eschnick, who died when I was real young. I, I think of loved ones. I think of Bob Gainsley. I, just so many folks that I, I look forward to seeing. 
people who have been instrumental in the faith, people who had a role in me coming to Christ, just Robin Adair, who's gone to be with the Lord. He's the very first person who ever shared the gospel with me. I, I think of all these folks I so long to see again. I don't, I, don't, I don't look on death with fear. I look on it with anticipation. I really do. I, I, there's, there's nothing about it. And don't get me wrong. I don't want to die today. I, I want to bless my family. I want to be here as long as the Lord wants me here. I, I think of Hal Hirsch a few weeks ago. He came and I was back there and, uh, and, and he said, uh, um, he said, you know, Rob, I need a meeting with you. I said, I, I can't meet this week. We meet next week because I'm not going to be here next week. He wasn't sick or anything. He's like 90 something, 93, 94 years old. He goes, he wasn't sick or anything. He just says, I'm not going to be here next week. I go, well, we want to meet the next week. He goes, no, no, no. I'm not going to be here. Kind of like I'm dying. I go, are you sick? He goes, no, I'm just ready to go home. Two days later, he went to be with the Lord. How do you do that? I mean, it wasn't suicide. He just, he laid down and that was it. I, I, where, where is that travel agent? I'm going to die. My, meaning my body will, it'll cease to function. And so will yours. We all have death in common. But the wonderful thing is like many of you, I'm ready. I'm ready. I know in whom I believed. I know that the tomb is empty. This is an April Fool's Day for me. This is Resurrection Sunday. Now, granted, we want time to stand still, and there are things that we really love about this life, but the joy of it is, even though time moves on, I'm thankful for the memories. I want to leave the fragrance of Christ in my my past and embrace the future. I know that he's cleaned up my past. I mean, if you were to talk to my high school classmates and they say, Rob's a minister, they're like, what? There's no freaking way. <laughs> Seriously, it, it, it's, it's like God's redeemed even my past and has embraced my, my, my present and my future. And I love that. But here's what's so fascinating about the passage of scripture that we've, we've read this morning is that the priests and the Pharisees, including Pilate, they tried, ready? They tried to stop time. Time is just God moving on to the inevitable future. The clock's ticking. Everybody's got an end. And we're doing everything in our ability to try to stop time. We're doing everything we can to try to stop the march of time that is appointed once for man to die, then to stand before God and give an accounting of your life. And, and we're, we're saying, it does, no, 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 we can stave off time. We're, we, we, there's a fountain of immortality, a fountain of youth. We can find it. And we do whatever we can to stop it. We worship youth. We try to just ignore that time is moving and we do whatever we can to stop it. And we can't. It's frustrating. My mother at 83 years of age, she had this big, her whole life, biggest nose you could imagine. We wouldn't, she couldn't go to a public swimming pool and do backstroke because they'd say there was a shark. Big, big nose. I told her the joke. She laughed. Don't worry. And she used to say, yeah, I have this nose because air is free. And she had this big nose. She would turn and it would block the sun. I mean, plants would wilt when she... I'm saying this, it's true. And, and, and it was a Dow nose, a big German nose. And I got part of it. This is big. Trust me, hers was hugantic, ginormous. It had its own zip code. It was a big schnozzo. 
And, and she tripped, you know, she lived in Coronado. She was 83 years old. She trips on the sidewalk. A little thing is lifted and she trips. Boom, face plant. Bah! Eyes darkened, nose is busted. And I can say this here because I am the city councilman in Thousand Oaks. I wouldn't say it if I were the city councilman in Coronado. But I said to my mother, the city's libel. They didn't, you know, smooth out that and they're liable and you can get your nose fixed (laughs) and you can get some of the wrinkles lifted. And she looked at me and she said, I have had this nose for 83 years of my life and I've earned every one of these wrinkles and nobody's taken them from me. (laughs) Bless her heart. I mean, she was just ready to roll forward. I've earned it. This isn't what I'm keeping when I step into eternity. And, and she knew that it was just feeble to try to stop time. I mean, we want to go back in time. We want to relive the past. I was talking with a brother whose wife had left him, and they had embraced Christianity, and she got sideways and got disillusioned and went back to her progressive, you know, college atheist days and trying to relive it, and it's, it's just a miserable failure. The kids are crushed. And, and I think, what, why? What are you trying to relive? Is there something back there you didn't get? Is, is this what life is to you? Trying to... You know, good old days. They weren't that good back then. And, uh, you know, it's just, what do you, we're going forward. Don't go back. You can't bring back time. And Pilate and the Pharisees, and they all tried to stop time. And they, 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 they did what they could. Look, this is, this is the tomb. And, they, and Pilate was given a Roman watch to seal the tomb and they, they put the Roman seal on the tomb and they're like, nobody's getting in the power of Rome and the seal of the emperor is upon this tomb. And I don't care if the Messiah has said he will rise in three days. Rome has declared that this tomb shall not be opened. All the power of Rome has declared that this tomb will remain sealed. Boom. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand, you think that is going to stop him? Just blew the tomb open. What a scene. God speaks the word instantly. Bam. Angels descend. The soldiers just, you know, paralyzed with fear. I was going to say something, but it wasn't appropriate. I still want to say it. (laughs) The The chief priests and the Pharisees were trying to stop time and they couldn't. And the Roman soldiers were paralyzed and they tried to seal up the son of God. They tried to hold back God. They tried to hold back time. They tried to hold back the inevitable hand of God who came to deliver, seek and save that which was lost. And there's no way in the world they would have ever succeeded at doing that any more than you can stop time. They couldn't stop God. In a sense, we smile at their futile efforts. But you know what? 
It seems like a lot of people in life, sadly, we're trying to seal up the Lord. I've heard this often, and, and I, I wanted to put it in terms that just seemed similar to what I've heard in so many different variations. Lord, you're welcome to stay, but please don't interfere. Please don't change the way I think or act or speak. Just stay in your corner and everything will be fine. I, I hear this. You know, I'll let the big guy know if I need him. Yeah, we have an agreement. I, I'd leave him alone. He leaves me alone. If I need you, I'll let you know. And, oh, isn't that? Oh, look at you. Isn't that great? Yeah, I just don't want to bother the big man. Oh, yeah, he's bothered by you. You're like a gnat on the butt of an elephant. You're not a bother. He holds the heavens in the span of his hand. If you were the only one on the earth, he would have died for you. He has every hair in your head numbered. A sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made, knitted together in your mother's womb. Every thought you've ever thought, he knew it before you thought it. He fashioned you. He has formed you. He's given you a future. He's established so that you would walk in, the, in the, those works that he has dis- destined for you. And you look at that and you go, I'll let you know if I need you. And, and quite honestly, I don't even want to acknowledge your existence. And so we come up with just the craziest, most foolish, April Fool's foolish concepts to remove any idea of a creator. There's no God. There's no creator. There's no designer. We are primordial soup. We are cosmic accidents. And that's how we ended up here. Really? Yes. Yes. And I'm the fool for believing God created in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And I'm the fool. Turn the mirror and look at yourself. You're the fool. This is April fool's day for us. It's resurrection Sunday. You're the one who says there's no God. Then who made you? Baz, just evolution. Really? Contrary to the second law of thermodynamics, you've evolved. Even though everything reduces to its least common denominator, you've just evolved. You've just contrary to that law. Yeah. And how did this evolution occur? Billions of years. Billions. How do you have a clock like that? I have... <laughs> really? Yes. And, and, and where did matter come from? Oh, that's a good one. It was introduced by aliens. <laughs> Stephen Hawking just died. Here's, here's the hope he gave for the world. We are going to dissolve into darkness. Oh, oh. <laughs> Thanks so much. What? What is it? What is it? There's no creator, no designer. No, I've never seen him. I don't believe in him. Okay, okay, okay. You know how tragic that is? This life is in preparation for eternity. You're stepping into eternity. It's either Resurrection Sunday or it's April Fool's Day. We're stepping in to something when we all die. You're either looking forward to, oh, I'm just going to vanish into nothingness and then just dissipate. Okay, good. And, and it's just a physical, yeah, just a physical world. Then, so you don't believe in anything metaphysical like love and joy and truth. Oh, you're evil. Oh, can't use that term. That's metaphysical. There's only matter. You, you, can't, you can't say you love. There's no such thing. And you know what? If, we're, if it's evolution and, and that's your belief and it's survival of the fittest, don't you, in, in your logic, and you can't deny this, then rape should be right. 
Because DNA needs to be, if you're going to survival of the fittest, you can't put a moral factor on that. That's metaphysical. You can't say right and wrong. Be honest. Your world is tragic. All because you don't want to say, help me, God. I sat in your seat. I know the feeling. It was that one word that kept me from the Lord for years. It was pride. 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 The message of Easter is that soldiers and seals and stones can never stop the plan of God, and neither can you. Oh, I've got questions for God. You'll get them answered soon enough. God marches on and he will accomplish what he set out to do. The reason why we believe the tomb is empty is because Jesus is alive. Then you say, what evidence do you have? You weren't there. You got me there, Einstein. Hey, Sherlock, you're right. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I admit it. I wasn't there. Does that make you feel better? I wasn't at World War II either. But I know what happened. How do you know? Well, there's eyewitnesses. Jim, did World War II happen? I think so. You think so? <laughs> You're not helping me, man. Are you a World War II veteran? Yes, I am. Okay, did World War II happen? It certainly did. Eyewitness. I didn't see it. He did. Anyone in here speak fluent German? You would be if World War II hadn't happened. Sieg Heil. Ja, sehr gut. Heilgeist. Was ist der einen Easter Sunday, ja? Und dass we not read the word because we must take out the things that don't allow Hitler to be the Messiah. No, World War II happened. They fought for freedom. And we're here. And the two things that you can take away from that very clear picture is, number one, there were eyewitnesses. And number two, the world has been forever changed. I say that because if you want to know if the resurrection is real, yes, I wasn't there. But let me share with you what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as the first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. And after he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. John wrote in 1 John chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, we proclaim concerning the word of life, meaning Jesus. Basically, John was saying, I want to tell you what we saw, what we felt, what we experienced. I want to tell you about Jesus. You want to know about World War II? Talk to Jim. You want to know about this? Talk to the apostles. They have written it down. Eyewitness accounts. And the world has been forever changed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. I think about the two Roman soldiers in the cartoon, and and, and as they're looking at each other, the stone's been rolled away. One soldier's looking at the other, worried, and they, they failed their responsibility. And one shrugs and says, hey, don't worry about it. A hundred years from now, no one will remember. We're now 2,000 years into this, and the world has been forever changed. Oh, 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 you doubt it. You doubt the change? All right, ready? Simply by the preaching of the word of God. 
And I know the room's divided. And I've sat in the seat of, the, of, of those that doubt. Watch, I'm going to give you evidence. Anyone in the room whose marriage has been healed, who has been delivered from drug and alcohol addiction, who has had a, a radical transformation, a healing physically, miraculously, all simply by the preaching of the word of God, could you please raise your hand right now? Raise them. Okay, leave them up. Everyone who doubts, there are some people here that are happy to tell you about the power of the risen Christ. You can put your hands down. He is alive. This is not April Fool's Day. This is legit. And I would say this. Sin and death has been conquered. And I want to share with you how we now look at life and death as believers. And I'll leave you with this. And I'll close with this. The resurrection for Rob McCoy changed the way I look at life and the way I look at death. I got a real loose hold on this earth and I'm really looking forward to the life hereafter. I got to tell you, I sleep well at night. If you want to threaten me with death, you're just threatening me with heaven. I'm not scared of you. The only weapon the enemy possesses is fear. I don't have it. God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. There's just something about standing upon, upon the truth and the precepts of the Lord that it just, it vanquishes all fear. I love it. There's just, there's something so comforting knowing that he's coming through and he always does. And when the Lord looks at death, he uses different words and different illustrations to describe death. And one of the things I love about what the Lord described as death is he said, death is like a wedding. Some of the men are like, yeah, I know that feeling. Some of the women, yeah, I know that. I mean, you think about it. In one sense, probably guys are like, yeah, I'm wearing the same suit I'm going to be buried in. She gets to wear this beautiful white dress. All her bridesmaids get to look lovely. I got to come in through the kitchen. She gets to come down the aisle. Okay. But it, the Lord reverses it. Yes. And it's actually a picture of that. The Lord comes and he is the groom and we're the bride. And he's died for us. He's washed us as white as snow. His blood was shed for the remission of our sins. We've been forgiven past, present, and future. And I have to tell you, I've done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of weddings. And I have never, not once, ever seen an ugly bride. That is one of the most profound portions of the wedding service. The doors open, she comes in. It's like, wow. And, 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 I, and, and as a church, we see ourselves in the bride. She's just... This is the day you're most beautiful. You're radiant. It, you just have this, it's unmistakable, the beauty. And comes and is united with the groom, Christ. This is the picture the Lord says about a wedding. Is, is this idea that we're united in Christ in our death and his resurrection. And we're, we're made one in Christ. I love that picture that he gives. And we're with him forever and ever. He says, another description the Lord gives about death is he says it's like a banquet. Now, you know, if I asked me, what's your hobby? I like to golf. I like to play tennis. You ask me what my hobby is? Food. <laughs> Honestly, I love food. I love every variation of it. I love food. And, and to me, if I get to die and sit at a banquet table, let's do this. <laughs> I'm with Hal. Like, I, I won't be here next week. Let's go. And, and it's just this banqueting table. And what I love about a banqueting table, and we started to do this now, is my wife because of the hecticness of life, we're starting to sit down at the dinner table. 
And some of you have always done it. Well, we've been busy and, and, and she's, she's purposely putting us at the table. And you put the phone down. She says, don't bring that to the table. And we sit down and we're just talking. And, and we're catching up on life and it's family. And you're like, this is really wonderful. That's what the Lord is describing as death. It's, it's a reuniting. It's a banquet table. It's a blessing. It's just sweet. Another picture that he describes of death is he says, it's like going home. I've traveled over 40 countries around the world. I've gone to almost every state in the union. I, I travel a lot. And I have to tell you, I love, 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 love coming home. I love sleeping in my own bed. I love sitting in the, on my own couch. I just love being home. And sometimes I get home and she goes, let's go out. I'm like, I'm home. <laughs> yes, but I've been here all day. I haven't. Let's just stay here. It's home. And, you know, dragging, dragging stuff to our new home. Get to move again. I don't, I don't want to move any more junk. I'm tired of moving junk. I just want to go home. I want this to be the last move. I want this to be the landing pad. This is it. And this is, this is a picture of, of death. You're home. Mom, Dad, I've missed you. I'm home. Lord, I mean, I... Thousands of years, I'll be with him. I'll be like, I just want to tell you, you're, it's really cool. I can't talk. I'm nervous. I know it's been a few millennial years, but you still, when I see it, it's like, oh, you're awesome. I like being in your presence. Lord, you're awesome. It's home. I want to go home. And then the last one is I'll close with this. The Lord describes death as like a graduation. A lot of you have been taking the class, but you don't have the diploma. You see, I barely got through high school in 1982. I didn't have enough units to graduate. I went to my driver's ed teacher. I brought a box of donuts. I convinced him to give me units. I graduated. I had a scholarship to Tulane University without a diploma because I was an athlete. And I remember when they, I went to Tulane, they said, what do you want to major? And I said, I don't know. What's major? What do you want to major? Eligibility? I don't know. What? Just... And, and I went to Tulane. I didn't do very well, but I graduated high school. My parents didn't come to my graduation. They didn't come to any of the senior national championships. They didn't come to the Olympic trials. They didn't come to the CIF finals. They didn't come to any of those things. They didn't come to my graduation. And I don't fault them. They're just busy. And, and I, but I, I, I graduated. I'm like, ah, I don't think, I think they didn't come because they didn't think I'd graduate. I did. I'm at Tulane. I don't do very well. I come back. I go to a community college. I get my NC2A eligibility back. I get another scholarship to this amazing place, Fresno State, where I graduated. There it is, Fresno State. That is the Harvard of the San Joaquin Valley. I got a Bachelor's of Arts in History. I was, I was thrilled by it. I graduated in 1987. I know that's five years from 82, but I graduated. I got a four-year degree in only five years. <laughs> and here's what the stunner was. I graduated, and I invited my parents to my graduation. They're like, No. I'm like, yeah, my dad's goal in life was that all of his children would have a college degree. I was the last one. They're like, come on, the little engine that could. <laughs> and, and when I told them I was graduating, they came. They sat way up in the nosebleed section of Bulldog Stadium. And I remember Oscar was in front of me. I was, I, no, he was behind me. I was in front of him. I went and I shook the hand of the president. I got my diploma. I came around. Oscar got his, shook his hand, came around. We sat down. I didn't know Oscar, but we were, they graduated us all. And I had a couple classes with him. 
And I, I open up and go, man, there it is. There's a diploma. And he opens his and it's empty. I'm like, where's your diploma? They didn't give you one. He goes, I, I was allowed to walk for graduation, but I haven't completed the courses. I have a couple of tests to take and then I'll get my diploma, but they allowed me to walk. I'm like, Oscar, we went to classes together. We did this together. You didn't get your diploma? He goes, no, I didn't quite finish, but I will. I mean, I, they let me walk under the condition that I'd finish the things. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking at all of you guys and I'm thinking to myself, you, you're, you're taking the class. You've been doing it for years. When are you going to graduate? When are you going to get the diploma? Some marriages succeed, others do not. Some banquets are occasions of joy, some are not. Some homes are peaceful, while others are not. And some people graduate, and some people do not. And you have been taking this class far too long, and it's time to graduate. And I just simply say this to you the tomb is empty. It's not April Fool's Day, it's Resurrection Sunday. There's a simple test, and you can get the diploma. We can end this charade. The Bible says Christ was buried, he was crucified, buried, and resurrected. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But whosoever believeth in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son who died in your place, my place, whose blood was shed to cover your sins so you can walk down the aisle washed as white as snow like a beautiful bride that awaits you the banqueting table of the marriage supper of the lamb. This picture of coming home to the God who created you and restoring the relationship as you sit around the table and enjoy one another's company. And yet all of this, because you're unwilling to graduate, you deny that and you're alone and you're miserable, and you're banking on, on some theory? When God says, I, I suffered and died so you could live. If you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple. His body was broken, his blood was shed, you receive it by faith, and, and, and you're in. You pass. You get the diploma. The Bible says that you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life. Eternal life, if it's given to you, nobody can take it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be eternal. And today you get the diploma. You become a graduate. Or you can just fear death or fear forever or live in this fantasy world of being some primordial soup and not having to yield to a God and try to hold back time and whistle by the graveyard and do whatever you can to keep it all together so the wheels don't fall off and hope that someday Silicon Valley can come up with some sort of an idea that you can transfer all your thoughts into an eternal robot. Oh, that's great. Or you can begin to start living as though there is truth. There are absolutes and we are not fools. We are children of the resurrection. So today it's either Resurrection Sunday or it's April Fool's Day. And it's only April Fool's Day for those of you who don't graduate. You're fools. I didn't say that God did. And I don't say that lightly because I sat in that seat for many, many years. And I'm so grateful I finally got a degree. It took me a little longer than the rest of you, but I got it. And today it's waiting for you. 